Hi, and welcome back to the Dying to Ask podcast. I'm Deirdre Fitzpatrick. It is, in my opinion, the most wonderful time of the year. It's back to school time. I mentioned on air that I couldn't wait for school to start, and I actually had a viewer who emailed me and said, you kind of sound like you don't want your kids at home. I don't. It's been a long summer. I have teenagers, teenage boys. I get up at 2-something in the morning, and when I get home at noon, and some people, not my husband, are still in bed, I'm going to be honest, I don't get the warm parent fuzzies anymore. (laughs) And that is why I'm not a mommy blogger. Anyway, it is time. It is time for a lot of families, I think, to regain the structure that the school year brings in. This year, I have a senior and I have a freshman in high school. So super exciting, kind of bittersweet new chapter in my family. But I have always felt that kids going back to school, I shouldn't say I've always felt. During COVID, I did not feel this. (laughs) But traditionally, kids starting the school year is a little bit like a reset for families. And it can be a great time to change up your family routine, maybe to work on some skills, to build some better habits. I have mom friends who work on their fitness during the fall because it's a lot easier to build it into the day where your kids are doing other things maybe. Um, You know, people find that it just like kind of makes them more accountable too. So on that, I had a former podcast guest, Jen Curtis, reach out. She's an educational consultant. She runs a company called FutureWise, and she's been on this show before talking about a book that she co-authored called The Parent Compass. She's great. So she reached out about doing a TV segment with four tips for academic success. And we booked her to do the segment because the tips were awesome. But as I read through them and started preparing to do the TV segment, I thought, You know, these are actually, they're good for kids, great for kids, but they're actually just as good for adults. They're good reminders whether you're in school or you're not. So yes, this episode has a bit of a family school angle, but seriously, listen, because if you do these four things in your life, I'll bet you see a little personal development as well, because having a plan equals less stress. Amen period, full stop. On this time to ask, how to set goals with your kids for the school year, why you need to have a what-if plan in case things start to go south, and four tips on how to set your kids up for academic success, whatever that actually looks like for them. Jen Curtis is my guest this week on Dying to Ask. Have you ever wondered how did they do that? I do all the time. I'm Deirdre Fitzpatrick, and Dying to Ask is the podcast that gets me off a TV news set and into candid conversations with authors, entrepreneurs, athletes, and influencers I have been dying to talk to. Soak up the motivation that comes from learning how other people live their lives, how they take an idea or a goal, they follow through, and they pull it off. And maybe along the way, I'll get some answers to questions you've been dying to ask. Hey, Jen, thanks for joining us on the Dying to Ask podcast. Nice to see you. Thank you so much for having me back. I love being here. Absolutely. So I'm joining you at the beginning of August. In in your world with what you do, are we like at go time? Where are you in terms of like your, your crazy scale here? This is go time. So things start to do the slow ramp up starting July 1st and then really quickly get going August 1st once the Common App goes live 
for the rising senior class. And then it is game on for August all the way through the end of December. So we are in the thick of it right now. We really are, man. It was, I just, I always go back to when I was going through this process, which having a, a rising senior this year um, has all come flooding back to me. And we didn't do any of this stuff way back, way back when, you know? No, I remember working on my applications for like a couple of weeks around Christmas time. And I was like, just going to say it was Christmas it. break. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes. And you cannot do that these days. No. Way too much to handle. Um, waiting till Christmas break is just not going to do you any favors. This is also the time when people who do not have college seniors, just have, you know, other kids in college start to get a little stressed out because if you haven't started the school year, it is approaching and all the things are starting to happen. So um, your advice has always been have a plan and lessen the family's stress. And in the process, you will likely also improve academic performance. Exactly. There's so many conversations that can be had at the start of the school year. So I think open lines of communication is step number one. And step number two is in those open lines of communication to come up with a plan for a variety of things. So for example, um, one of those things is to come up with an action plan for if a student starts to struggle academically. I see so often that either the student completely ignores that he or she is struggling until it's way too late to rectify the situation or the parents and the student will go directly to expensive tutoring. Yeah. And unfortunately, what that does is it skips over the student's biggest asset, which is to seek help from teachers. Um, so I suggest that parents and students sit down at the very start of the school year, come up with an action plan for what it looks like if the student is start starting to struggle, with step number one being to approach the teacher both before and after exams and writing supplements. I'm sorry, writing assignments. Mm -hmm. um, and I think what this does is it helps the student to not only understand what the what the teacher is looking for in the assignments and get clues as to what a successful assignment is going to look like, um, but it also helps them to develop some really important self-advocacy skills. Yeah. Um, and it can positively impact a student's grade if they are one of those, you know, in one of those borderline grade situations. When students go off to college, um, they're going to be in a much less supportive atmosphere. So practicing those self-advocacy skills can be really critical while they're still in high school. Let me go back even one more step. Before school year starts or at the beginning of school year, would you suggest sitting down and my kids love a good family meeting? Not really, but, <laughs> but like literally sitting down as a family and saying, look, here are the grades that we're in this year. Here's the expectation. Here's how we can help here's here's what we think that the year is going to look like in terms of activities and homework and our screen time rules because especially coming out of the summer I mean these kids are feral <laughs> or maybe that's just my house but there is a there's been a lot of sleeping in and a lot of a lot of TikTok and a lot of other things it, does that also help with the frustration and that transition into structure again if you sit down and kind of outline some of the expectations absolutely I think that that's a great idea um, sit down, make sure everybody is on the same page, but also know that 
things can change throughout the year. Mm -hmm. And so your family plan should be flexible and there should be, um, you know, it should be built in there that, um, that, you know, there is room for change, but a hundred percent, I think that families can sit down and talk about what are the grade expectations? What are the expectations for sleep? Um, you know, what are, what are the goal? What are the students goals for the school year? Maybe you even come up with some family goals for the school year, not necessarily pushing goals on the student, but what are your goals for your family? What, you know, what do you want to accomplish during the school year? I love that. Sometimes it's kind of interesting to find out what their ex what their own expectations are of themselves. Absolutely. So um, I I am a huge fan of goal setting. I have my students set goals at the start of every single academic years. I think that goal setting is one of the most empowering ways to start out a school year. It helps tweens and teens to develop an intentional mindset, to really think through what they want for themselves, exactly how they want to grow and how they want to stretch during the school year. And most importantly, I think it helps them to develop a roadmap for how they want to get there. I think a lot of students generally generally speaking, are able to articulate that, yes, you know, maybe they want to do well during the school year, but very few of them actually intentionally sit down and set specific goals to outline how they're going to do that. Mm -hmm. But when they take time to write out what they want to achieve, they are much more likely to actually do the work to get there. And I think it can also be helpful if they're able to post those goals somewhere where they're going to see them often to remind them about what they're working toward on, on a regular basis. Um, so like I said, I like to uh, set goals with my students at the start of every school year. And then we sit down and actually reflect on those goals and make adjustments at the end of whatever their first term is. We identify maybe what they did well, and then also what they can tweak and change as they move through the rest of the school year so they can finish on a really strong and powerful. Right. Note. You, you gave me a good point. tip. Oh. You gave me a good tip once you said, um, when you're kind of trying to be accountable with kids or help them stay accountable, you gave me the phrase, how can I help you with that goal you had? And yes. it's such a better way of, it, it helps you not say, have you done this yet? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Which let's be honest, you still end up saying, but if you say, how can I help you? Is there something I can do to help you with that? Right. So the team feels like you're very much more walking alongside one another on a team instead of a, a coach versus the athlete, if you will. Um, so I think that this can be a really bonding experience if teens and parents are willing to do this exercise together. Um, the, the parent can be very aware of what it is that the teen values and what he or she wants to work toward rather than what the parent wants the student mm -hmm. to work toward. Um, and then it is much more more like a teamwork atmosphere, which the teen is going to respond much better to. Yeah. And it takes a little of the blame off the parents later on. Absolutely. It just, it changes the, the, the narrative just a little bit. Um, you have four really great tips for families, mainly for parents um, to think about as you head into the school year that uh, really will help set your kids up for academic success, but also lessen the stress on the family. And as I looked over some of your tips, I thought, well, these aren't just good for kids. These are good for people. 
in general of all ages. The first one has to do with note-taking. So back when we were going to school, it was, you know, um, chalk tablet and stone or whatever, you know, but you were, you were pretty much like writing things down and taking notes that way. These days, as my kids tell me, that's like a paper map. Nobody does that anymore. So they're for the most part, taking notes on a laptop or maybe on a tablet. The thing that they might not realize is that when it comes to memory, the tablet and, and typing isn't always the best way to go. No. So unfortunately, with the omnipresence of technology, <laughs> um, those handwritten notes are going away. But the sad part about that is, as you mentioned, um, that the act of writing out your notes is really what contributes to memory and retention. And so that is impacting students. And there are a lot of students who aren't even taking notes at all. And so um, one technique that I suggest if students really do prefer to take notes on a tablet or on a, on a laptop is that um, they can study effectively later by actually rewriting their notes by hand. Um, and again, that's going to help them to really boost that retention. That's so interesting. Yeah, I mean, you think about it, that's how I studied best personally. I would write and rewrite and rewrite and rewrite my notes. Um, and it just made me remember them so much better. I um, always hate it when you're in a, a like a group meeting and there are, there's like, you know, slides or something up and people tell you, don't write this down. It'll all be available in your email later. And I always think, well, you're kind of doing yourself a disservice because it keeps people engaged exactly. as they write it down. You know, like exactly. it, to me, it reinforces the message. Exactly. And that's the problem with the students who aren't used to taking notes is that they're off in la la land, like they are not engaged in what the teacher is saying. And maybe they're going to look over those slides, but they aren't going to get the nuances of whatever it is that the teacher went through. Yeah. Okay. Well, science is backing you up on that one. The second tip, and you kind of addressed this a little bit earlier, is seeking help from people and asking for help as an adult is sometimes hard. But if you can teach a kid to ask for help from a teacher and be their own self-advocate, what a great life skill. Absolutely. So this is something obviously that's going to help in high school, it's going to help in college, and it's going to help in the workplace and beyond. So the more that we can be encouraging our kids to advocate themselves with not only teachers, but also coaches and other adults, um, the more it's going to pay off in the long run. I do get questions a lot about, well, what do you do about the shy kid? My kid, you mm -hmm. know, isn't used to doing that. It's practice, practice, practice. It does not come naturally to everyone, but the more that you can practice it over time, the more your student will get used to the idea of, oh, I need something. Okay. I can go ask for it myself and mom and dad aren't going to always be able to do that for me. Um, I love role-playing in this. So when a student is nervous about speaking to, let's say a teacher, um, you as the parent can sit there and go through a, you know, a mock conversation mm -hmm. of what that might look like. And you can even switch roles. So, you know, the parent might play the student for a little bit and role model what, what that conversation might look like and vice versa. Um, and, and the more you do that, the more comfortable your student will be and the better they'll be in the long run. Yeah. I have one who gets a lot more embarrassed than the other. The other one will ask for the moon. <laughs> it's no problem. But I have one who's a little 
Yeah, I have one who's just a little bit more shy and very self-conscious about asking for things. And it is interesting as he's, you know, you push him to do that a little bit, um, how empowering that is later. Oh my gosh. Absolutely. I actually funny, as you said that. So my, my younger daughter is, um, shyer than my older daughter. And just yesterday I was at Starbucks with a friend and, um, and our, our two daughters and my girls are younger, but, um, it was interesting because from a very young age, I've really encouraged and really role-played with my kids to order at, restaurants at, um, wherever we go, Mm -hmm. they are responsible for ordering for themselves. And so at this point, it's something that they're very used to. And my friend made a comment like, oh my gosh, my daughter has never ordered for herself. This is such a great lesson. She's like, I'm going to start doing this. And so I just, again, I think my point is that it goes toward that practice element. The more that they practice, it's just, um, it just becomes second nature and they do start to feel so much more confidence. I always like to say, I think self-advocacy and confidence are directly tied to one another. Yes. And I think, again, going back to all these tips are just good for all ages Yes, as as adults, even for us, like going up to anyone when you don't understand, or when you need a hand on something and just saying, could you help me with this? Very few people will look at you and say, no, I won't help you. But, but that's our fear, (laughs) but that's our fear. It's so silly. Very, very seldom will someone say, absolutely. I'm not going to help you. Yes. Yeah. Never. Okay. The third one, and we've touched a little little bit on this is goal setting. Um, and goal setting can start early. I mean, you can, you can set goals with a three-year-old. Now they're going to be smaller goals, yeah. <laughs> hopefully than than somebody else, but, but talk us through a little bit about how you would set up that conversation about goals. So to your point, um, this is another thing that I, I liked to do with my kids from a young age, um, because I think that it sets a mindset of intention. And so the goals of a five-year-old or seven-year-old or even 10-year-old are going to look very different from the goals of a high school student or a college student and and obviously um, from an adult as well. Um, But I think that it does help them get in that um, mindset of, okay, what is it that I want for myself and how am I going to get there? So with tweens and teens in particular, I think um, if the student is open to it, it can be, as I said earlier, a great bonding experience to do together. Many students are not open to it, and that's okay. Um, if they want to do it on their own, um, you know, I think that what I like students to do is set three goals for the, the year. It might be a, um, an increased grade. It could be, it could be about being nicer to a family member. I mean, Mm -hmm. it could be really anything. Um, but then to set three specific objectives for each goal. So what is the roadmap for exactly how they're going to get there and to be very specific about that. So as an example, a student might say, oh, you know, I want a uh, B plus in chemistry this year. And then I'll say, great, okay, how, you know, how are we gonna make that happen? Well, number one, I'm gonna study harder. That's not very helpful. (laughs) That's great that you want to study harder, but what does that look like? So we talk about, okay, well, you know, having my phone in my room while I'm studying is really not helpful when I'm, when I'm, you know, doing my chemistry homework. So 
Step number one is I'm going to leave my phone at our family's, you know, central docking station or whatever, whenever I'm doing my chemistry homework. Or, you know, I hate my chemistry homework, so I always do it last. All right, well, we know that actually that's when you're the most tired. So maybe an objective is we're going to do chemistry homework first when you're fresh and, um, you know, you're really into it. So, um, and again, sidebar, getting back to these tips work for all ages. We yes. all have our version of chemistry homework that we put yes. off, but yes. doing the hard stuff work first is super effective with anything you need to get done. Absolutely. And even, I mean, if, so we can get into procrastination too, even just that first little teeny tiny step. Um, I see this a lot with, you know, we were talking earlier about where I am right now, uh, with all of my students and the, the procrastination on essays for college admission is a real thing. So what I like to tell my students is just do something, just take one small step toward whatever it is that you're trying to achieve. Maybe it is literally sitting down and like pasting the prompt to the top of the page, and then you can walk away for the mm -hmm. rest of the day. Um, that's fine. So just taking those little teeny tiny steps can help you um, really kind of jump over that initial hurdle of resistance um, mm -hmm. and move through. And then beyond that, you can set little incremental goals for yourself. So I'm going to work for 15 minutes and then I'm going to treat myself to a five minute break during which I'm going to, you know, have my favorite snack or whatever. So right. those boards and those short periods of time working can be really helpful. Have you ever heard of or tried the three minute timer hack for procrastination? Not Do you know about minutes. this? No. So no, I thought Pomodoro it, technique, you know what? It's probably just, a, it's probably just a spin on Pomodoro. So the idea okay. is you take it, you take a timer, you know, and you can do it on your phone. Although I think that the phone tends to distract you other things, or you take a little timer, literally you set it for three minutes and you start whatever it is, the activity it is that you need to get done. Okay. And the idea is that once you get started, very seldom will you stop at three minutes, but right. you say, I'm going to do it for at least three minutes and get started. But most of the time you'll continue doing it for a longer period of time. So I actually bought two little timers, like $2.99 for two timers on Amazon. And I gave them each to my kids. And it's funny with one of them who was actually pushed the button, it worked like yeah. almost instantly. I'm like, give me three minutes cleaning out that closet. And I got about seven, which was yeah. twice what I'd want. It was fascinating, but it was just that idea of kind of tricking yourself into doing something that you really that don't want to do. Small hurdle. And then you're into mm -hmm. the task and it's like, well, why stop now? <laughs> why stop now? Exactly. Okay. Well, I love the goal setting. And then the fourth one is a constant battle, no matter what age the kid is, seems like, and that has to do with sleep. Um, you know, you, you get, you never want to sleep when you're young and then you get to be older and all you do is fantasize about getting more sleep, <laughs> which seems incredibly cruel. You have a different way of selling the sleep to kids though. And that is that the better and more sleep you get, the better your memory is likely to be in the academic world. Absolutely. So um, we all know that adequate sleep is so critical. That's no secret. We know that there, those nine and 10 hours, especially for teens are really important. But I think in my experience, when parents have those conversations, and a lot of time they do happen at the beginning of the school year, um, they focus on the energy that's needed to get through the day which is important. 
But I think what gets most overlooked, unfortunately, is the fact that sleep has very real, very fundamental impact on memory and retention, which directly obviously impacts a student's actual academic performance. So I think it's important for parents and teens to understand that during sleep, short-term memories and long-term memories consolidate. And it's also during that time that our existing knowledge and our new knowledge integrate with one another. So then what happens is that memory formation is disrupted when there is lack of sleep. And that's obviously in turn going to impact a student's academic performance. One thing though, that I do hear a lot from teens and you may hear from your boys is that they have this false belief that if they just sleep in and catch up on the weekend, that all will be well and that they can recover. But we know from the research that that's actually not the case. So it's important to understand that inadequate sleep patterns um, and in, that are inconsistent can really be associated with a decreased academic performance. Yeah. And crankiness. Yeah. In general. <laughs> Not to mention that as well. <laughs> right. And, you know, and that's very true for the adults as well. Yes. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And, you know, we gotta, we gotta be there to support our kids and, um, you know, that's no easy task. Everyday parenting is no easy task, especially when you're tired all the time. So that's true. Well, thank you so much for taking some time today. I know it is, you know, it's crunch time for you as you get into the school year with helping college kids. What else are you working on these days? So I'm really excited to announce a new group program um, called the FutureWise Collective, and it's a program for sophomores and juniors. Um, we meet via Zoom once a month, and I'm going to be going over timely topics for all types of students so that they can really make sure that they are getting all the tools in their tool belt that they need to prepare for college admission um, and be successful in it and be confident going into the process. So um, I'm, I'm super excited about launching that this fall. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I hope that um, people really, my hope is that, and my goal is that um, the knowledge around the college admission process can um, really help to decrease students' anxiety. And, um, and that's what I'm here to do. So I really love all the stuff you put on um, Instagram just for families Thank too. You. It's really, Thank it, you. You know, pick up some really good tips. Even if you don't have kids who are going off to college and you don't think that's your world, they're just some like really great family tips that are in there as well. You do a great Thank job on that. You. I appreciate that. Yeah. You can go follow me at my future wise um, for lots of tips on parenting through the process, as well as just um, navigating the whole thing with confidence. So do you have fourth grade and second grade in your house this year? Yes. Yep. Oh. Getting into those state reports. And oh, that's right. You're going to get the park pass though. So that's yep. exciting. Yep. Yep. <laughs> there are some benefits to being a fourth yes. grader. Yes. <laughs> for yes. sure. Well, best of luck with the year. And thanks again for joining Thank us. Thank you, Deirdre. If you enjoyed this week's episode, please share it with a friend or take a moment and leave a rating or review on whatever podcast platform you're listening to us right now. I'd sure appreciate it. I'm Deirdre Fitzpatrick, and I'll be back next week on Dying to Ask.